correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. What's up, Gamer Nation? Me and Steve back at the house, and tonight I'm joined by Steve, as always. Hello, Steve. Hello, Steve. Hey. And we are once again joined by a guest, a fellow D20 Network member. This would be Jeannie from the Court Games family of podcasts, or as she's better known in the L5R community, Kakita Kaori. I think I pronounced that right. Hello and welcome. Hello, both Steve's. Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. It's nice to meet you. and Thank you for taking the time to come join us. So uh, before we get into, well, kind of the same topic really, but uh, do you want to take a minute and talk about the, for lack of a better way to say it, Court Games family of podcasts as I just recently realized they were? <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I'd be happy to. So the Court Games Family Podcast comes out of the uh, L5R Discord, which is a very large Discord that people who play L5R throughout the community around the world participate in. Um, there are a total of five separate podcasts associated with Court Games, though they are of uh, varying frequencies. Uh, my one is called the Court Games RPG Podcast, and we publish a new episode every week on Friday, and we focus on the role-playing game mechanics and stuff, and we also focus on the lore for Legend of the Five Rings. It has a series of fictions that come out associated with it that we do you know, a nice breakdown and analysis and grab whatever we can grab for games from it for that. In addition, there is the Court Games LCG podcast. Um, that one is just wrapped up. Uh, L5R is a living card game that is just finishing the end of its life cycle. And my friend Trevor uh, runs that and talks about cards. <laughs> we also have a podcast called Tokyo of the Five Rings. It is from my friend Nick, who lives in Tokyo, Japan, and talks about Legend of the Five Rings stuff actually in and about Japan. And then we have two actual play podcasts. I am in an actual play podcast called Fortune and Strife. And that is kind of like a beginner's podcast. We have plenty of intense role playing, but we keep all the mechanics in so people can see how to play Legend of the Five Rings 5th Edition, as well as enjoy the story. And then the other uh, podcast is called Crimson Gold Agonies, and that's kind of a more advanced one. They remove all the mechanics and just focus on the story. Okay, so more of a almost an audio drama than more of an audio drama than than a regular actual play with mechanics. But yeah, people like different things, and so we've been rolling for a while. Fortune and Strife is on a little bit of a hiatus, but we should be back with new episodes pretty shortly. And and the RPG podcast I do is every week like clockwork as long as I can pull that off <laughs> with my partner, Korvar. Well, very nice. So, I mean, i got to be honest. I, I know very little about L5R or Legend of the Five Rings other than I know there's a card game. And as my understanding is, it's based largely on Japanese folklore 
and mythology or at least something like that? <laughs> sort of like that. So uh, Legend of the Five Rings began as a collectible card game in 1995. And it was originally created to run for two years. But it had it did something that no other card game at that time did. Uh, there was a big boom. This is pretty early after Magic had hit the market. Uh, and that was it allowed uh, players to impact the story of the card game. And uh, I don't know if you've heard of uh, Gamers, the the movies. There's a couple of movies. One is called Gamers Hand of Fate. I'm not familiar with them. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with those. The second one, Gamers Hand of Fate, they made up a card game, but the whole premise is everything is based on Legend of the Five Rings. Basically, players impact the course of the story with uh, with who wins. Anyway, uh, so that's how it started. And pretty soon after it started in like 97 to 98, it came out with the first edition of the role-playing game for it. And um, it's been kind of rolling out ever since with new versions. That was from AEG, originally created it. And it was sold to Watsi for a while and then back to AEG. And then in uh, 2017, Fantasy Flight started coming out with the fifth edition of the role-playing game. Okay. But what is it about? <laughs> That's the history. So many games these days have been passed around from, from company to company. So, <laughs> But because uh, it has all this history, it's got this really deep, deep lore. Because every victory, every, you know, every event that happened ends up being written into the story of this, this game and this, this world. So it started out being a kind of a um, attempt at a Sengoku-style Japan with various clans warring with each other. But it has this huge supernatural influence in it. And I guess the best analogy I have to it would be um, almost almost a Faerun or, uh, you know, Greyhawk kind of is to D&D, except it's got way more history because of all of these things that happened. So it's very fantastical with a lot of Japanese Japanese roots and styling around it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So is it sort of like a almost a historical fantasy or a, that type of thing? Mm, people have described it more as Game of Thrones in Japan. And that's not a bad analogy. There's so many things that are like Game of Thrones. Okay. That makes sense. So the general premise of it is that... In the beginning of the world, the newfound, you know, the kami, the sons and daughters of the sun and moon, all right, fall out of heaven and land on earth. And each of them makes a clan. They attract human followers and they make a clan. And each clan is named after an animal. So there's the crab and the crane and the dragon and the lion and the phoenix and the scorpion and the unicorn. And these these clans all serve the empire under one emperor. Mm -hmm. And these clans all have lots of court intrigues. They're all kind of competing with each other. Some are allies, some are enemies. And one of the kami fell into essentially hell, Jigoku. And he came back and he wanted to know why he couldn't rule the empire and brought with him the forces of hell. As it were, to come attack the empire, and there's a big wall, just like in Game of Thrones. There's a big wall to keep 
the evil out. Well, in Rokugan, there's a big wall that keeps the evil out and lots of politicking and stuff among the clans. And on the other side, there's a big, huge bunch of monsters and undead and stuff ready to come eat you. Aha. Okay. So yeah, so it's a very traditional Japanese take on fantasy, maybe. Yeah, I don't know about traditional, but a Japanese take at least. I... It is a Japanese take on on fantasy, and it's it's not it's not historical. It does sometimes bring in elements of other Asian cultures, um, not very strong, just like little traces here and there. But then again, if you look at the history of Japan, it's got lots of traces from China and other China specifically, anyway, in Japanese culture, anyway. But like, there's three kind of classes for each of the clans. So you have these these seven clans, and then there's kind of three classes for each clan. There's Shiginja, which are kind of your magic users in mm-hmm. the using the magic parlance of the world. Their magic is a little different than traditional D&D magic. There's Bushi, which are warriors, mm-hmm. and there's courtiers, who are not Shiginja and not fighters, but doing all the other things that are required to make an empire go, basically. So essentially you have the mages, the warriors, and the administration. Pretty much. But uh, the being a courtier is certainly equal on par and as important in Rokugan as being a fighter or being a Shiginja. Mm-hmm. Just a different area of expertise. It, okay. So it, it, it's class-based. <laughs> At least to a certain point, I'm going to guess, just from knowing role-playing games, that I'm guessing a Bushi from, say, Crane is going to be very different from a Bushi from, say, Crab. Absolutely. So basically it divides up into schools. So each clan has a, a number of families in it, okay? And that's what you're born to. You're, you're born into a family, a samurai family, okay? Okay. And in general, the clan has different schools. They call them schools. It'd be like your dojo or, or where you study. And that's what determines your kind of class if it was Dungeons and Dragons. So I would be, if I am a crane bushi, I would have a specific style. And a, a clan can have more than one bushi school. So like the crane have a duelist school, which are fighters, bushi, and a... um Iron Warrior School that is more, you know, soldiers. Okay. If you see the difference. So so basically there's a whole list of schools and you can pick your school. Mm-hmm. And that does a lot of flavoring for your character. And Okay. Now, <laughs> I don't know where where to go next. Do you want to go a little more into mechanics since we've started with, with kind of classes? You know, is, is it like a level-based progression? I mean, I know it's an um... FFG game, so <laughs> it uses special dice. <laughs> it does use special dice. All right. Well, when you're creating your character for... All right. Well, there have been many different editions of L5R. For FFG, this is the fifth edition. Um, All of the systems of L5R have worked with a roll and keep mechanism where you roll a bunch of dice and then you keep a specific subset of those dice. So even though FFG means you use special dice, you still do this roll and keep mechanism for it. Um, let's see. Character creation is probably a good place to start. So if I want to play in this world, I would pick a clan, or if I was picking clanless, I would, you know, I could pick Ronin. Depends on the kind of game you want at your table. I'd pick what family I come from, and that flavors my background a lot. 
You, you take mm-hmm. a lot of influence from, you know, your role, your family ends up taking. And then I would pick my school. Okay. Mm-hmm. And from there, you basically get a stack of skills, a starting set of skills, a school ability, and some techniques. Okay. And that's your starting character. And most starting characters are fairly similar. They have a whole set of 20 questions that then you use to build off that basic character. And and these are quite complex uh, from how does your parents see you? How would they describe you? To what kind of student were you at at school? To how do you feel about your clan's view of Bushido? <laughs> you know, right down to how will your character die? I mean, you, you just they have 20 questions and your stats then get built out based on how you answer those questions. Certain things get certain bonuses. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it is pretty cool. And that's your base character. And then each school has a curriculum and a curriculum is a set of skills and techniques. Techniques are, are like special abilities. These could be like spells if you are a Shigenja. Or they have kata for bushi or shuji for courtiers. And it's some mix of those. So most bushi will get some shuji, which are kind of like uh, rhetorical abilities or abilities to perceive other people's personalities or talk to them in different ways. And they would get kata, which are kind of like fighting techniques and skills. And they're all kind of lined up in the curriculum. And... As you buy with your experience skills from the curriculum or without outside if you want to, you get a certain number of points in the curriculum based on how many XP you spend there. And if you get to a, a certain number of points, then you go up a rank and you keep doing that till you go up through to six ranks and then you kind of capped everything out. But that's a lot of XP. <laughs> You're a godlike in your power. <laughs> Is it a level-based progression then, or are you increasing ranks in these various things independently by which ones you choose to spend your experience on? Uh, A little bit of both. So your school ability gets better the higher rank you are, okay? Mm -hmm. So a simple one would be the Kikita Bushi school. You You can do more deadly strikes for every school rank you have. So if I was level one, I could add one deadliness to my strike. If I was level two, I could add two deadliness or rank two, I should say. To go up in ranks, you have to buy a bunch of stuff in between like skill points or technique points that are things that were listed in your curriculum. But when you buy them, you can use them right away. So it does have a certain punctuatedness to the curriculum, just on that one ability, on your school ability, but it's generally smooth based on what you purchase. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, a little, like you said, it's a kind of a mix of both. Mm-hmm. It's fair. All right. So I guess then where do we go next? Back to the the roll and keep and how we resolve everything? Okay. I can I'm, talk I'm about that. asking. I mean, that's, you know, you <laughs> no, know this game. No, I, don't, I don't know. So. <laughs> I don't know. All right. So as you, the big things for the dice is that you have all these dice and the dice have one of basically four symbols on it and they can have a couple symbols on the face there's ring dice this is legend of the five rings and your rings are kind of your ways of approaching the world so if you tend to be a very evasive elusive 
kind of a person, you might have high air. And that might be how you fight, but also how you talk. It's not just fighting. It's like how you approach things. If you are very direct and passionate and creative, you might be a high fire person. And those are your rings. So there's air, fire, water, earth, and void. Okay? Mm -hmm. And every character has different amounts in those stats. And you have ring dice. So if I want to do a task and I don't have any skill in it, I'll just roll the ring dice to do it. Let's say I want to create a painting. Create is usually in fire for that passionate creative side. So I would roll my fire number of ring dice, which are D6s, basically, except with special symbols. <laughs> then you have skills, and the skill dice are D12. So if I was painting a picture, I'd use my aesthetics skill. Uh, so I'd roll however much I had in aesthetics of D12s and however much I had of uh, fire in D6s and roll it. And then I'd have to judge the symbols on those dice. So the symbols are success, opportunity, strife, and explosive success. So explosive success just means you get to roll, roll the dice again. You get a success and you get to roll it again. That's what that means. A success means you succeeded. So most tasks say, okay, I need TN2. That means you need to get at least two successes on my dice roll. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. All right. Opportunities are something that you can use even if you don't succeed. They can plump up a little a success, make it a little better by doing something sideways or adjacent to it. Or they could be something good you can get even if you didn't succeed. So let's say I painted this picture, but I want to make this picture like tell the person I'm giving it to how much I admire them. I want to secretly like put that message inside the picture. Okay. Like maybe it's like extra flattering or it's symbolic of their family or something like that. I can spend an opportunity to do that little bit extra of it. Even if I totally messed up the picture, I could at least put that opportunity in there and say, oh, it was really intended to be flattering and say, okay, even <laughs> though I failed, at least let them know that I didn't fail intending to you know, mess with them. And it's same for fighting. So let's say I strike at someone and I succeed. I could potentially spend the opportunities to snare them or knock them down. It depends on what my techniques are. Or even just like set myself up for a better strike on the next blow if I miss. It all depends on how I want to spend them. Okay. So that's opportunities. And then the third thing on there is strife. And strife isn't on there by itself. It's with some of the success symbols or some of the opportunity symbols. And strife means that you are taking emotional turbulence to do this success. Okay? Mm -hmm. So the whole game kind of cycles on... If you get up to a certain maximum amount based on your character of composure or, you know, ability to keep a level head, right, then you're fine, mm -hmm. all right? If you accumulate enough strife because you're keeping successes which have strife on them or opportunities which have these strife symbol on them and you get up to your maximum composure, then at that point, you can't 
take anymore. You can't keep any more successes with strife on them unless you can clear it out. And you can clear it out by exploding, by, you know, yelling at somebody or otherwise like having an emotional outburst. You can clear it out by, you know, taking a calm breath when you can and like cool yourself off or, you know, meditating or otherwise, you know, getting yourself back together, pull yourself back together. So you're kind of handicapped until you can like get your strife level down below your composure. And that kind of makes this pattern of rising emotional tension for your characters, where some players like to have their characters just like fly off the handle really easily. And there's good and bad for that. And some people want to play characters that have a really level head and just start uh, calming themselves down. And it's just different ways to play. Okay. So it sounds to me like L5R is really built to have a very strong social component to the game, regardless of which class you're playing, that the social Absolutely. side of the game is extremely important. It is. It is extremely important. And that's, for me, that makes it really interesting because because it has, <laughs> because it has a social side of the game at all, um, which is not, I mean, a lot of um, games kind of flatten the whole social dynamic down to you know can you persuade somebody or not and yeah there's uh l5r it's got a lot more to that game it's a very important thing with a with the system as it's set up with the world that's set up you have all these relationships between the clans and people and it plays a lot with the idea of status there are more important people than you who can boss you around and have you executed if you piss them off enough and there are less important people than you who other people of your rank might end up oppressing. Uh, and it might be up to you to like stop them from doing that. Or if you're not a very nice person, you might end up oppressing the peasants yourself, you know, because you are you are nobility. And it plays a lot with these ideas of status, but that also gives a lot of weight to the social game because this higher up person who can help you 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 don't want to offend <laughs> and uh you want to make sure that you behave correctly around them well i thought i i remembered hearing a story somewhere that one of the original developers on on legend of the five rings as far as the rpg was quite heavily influenced by um greg stafford's pendragon for uh chaosium which is a you know an arthurian mm -hmm. courtly intrigue based game mm -hmm. so is this in in some ways perhaps a i don't mean to sound generalizing about it but kind of a <laughs> asian japanese version of that kind of setting then a, a medieval court uh that is a certainly an aspect l5r is big enough that there's a couple of different ways that you can play most people play it actually as a police drama ah, okay amusingly enough it can be played as a as a pure court game absolutely right and it can be played as a full-out monster bashing game you are you are going to go fight the monsters that invade the world it can be played as a ghost hunting game there's plenty of ghosts and supernatural in the world and you can be assigned to do it but actually the way that it's most often played at least for first games is as what's called an emerald magistrates game but it's a police drama you are a squad of magistrates basically police or fbi agents right mm -hmm who have been sent by your lords to go investigate a problem in this area. And you have to go 
go investigate the problem and you have to figure out, you know, if something supernatural is going on, if something natural is going, normal is going on, but, you know, shady, uh, you have to solve the mystery. Uh, you have to drag the people who did it to justice. Uh, you have to negotiate the civil system in order to try and get that justice and make it happen. So you might end up, that one is a good way to do it because it allows you to make groups with mixed clans, like members from every clan, which is sometimes hard to set up. And it lets you do a little, little fighting, a little politics, a little magic you know, all, all together as you try and solve mysteries. So that's a pretty common way to play it. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. That's a really interesting take because I always thought of the game from my understanding of it was that it was always this really big political intrigue game with supernatural elements and playing with that Japanese more historical, not necessarily historically based, but historical side of the Bushida era of Japan. Mm-hmm. So I, ne I never really thought about playing it like a sort of like that, where you would have a team of essentially FBI agents or special investigators looking into a situation. Yeah, that's almost that is almost always the way that it is played to start off with. And then it kind of can go from there, as I said, to different different kinds of tropes like okay you've succeeded in your investigation and you did something great um and you you captured the bad guy or you you killed the bad guys whatever and then it's like okay now you've gotten a claim now you are invited to a winter court which is kind of like where all the courtiers get together and do politics for the season because you you are you have received this acclaim also now you've gone from a police investigation into that political intrigue kind of setting that you were that you were talking about. I think it's important to distinguish though between um, the card game and the role playing game because the card game very much the stories that go with the card game is very much about the big battles and the political intrigue going on in the world at the time. It's just that's not usually where people play at because it's. PvP is something you can do in role-playing games, but it's usually not not people's cup of tea. Yeah, it, it tends to be a little awkward, if if nothing else. And mm -hmm. it sounds like, too, like if you're saying if you're playing in those big events from the story of the card game, that, what do you want to say, it's like playing Star Wars and tagging along with Luke Skywalker. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, you we all love the movies, whatever, but it's not, if you're playing the game, you want to be the star. Not Absolutely. follow the star around. Right. So the setting for the RPG is set a year, in general, a year or two before the events of the LCG occur. So you can use the events from the uh, card game in your story if you want, but you don't have to. And only a few people do. I think people who do it are very much more familiar with L5R and can kind of like pull them in if they really, really feel like it. I like that. You know, the more I hear you talking about this, the more I go, you know what, this is, I really like, what do you want to say, the themes of the game and that, you know, like you said, there, there are so many games that they reduce the, the social side of the game to two or three skills and mm -hmm. that's it. And it sounds like L5R has kind of doubled down on making that, as big a part of the game as combat or anything else. 
Absolutely, that's the case. Even even some of the combat is more political. So there's straight up combat. Hi, I'm out to fight fight my enemy and, and defeat them. All right. But there's also dueling, and dueling is where I say, to if if you have two people who are equals, all right, and and mm-hmm. two people who are equals who are samurai, and I say, I believe that you did this thing. Uh, you insulted me, or you uh, kicked a peasant or you, you know, made packs with demons or, or whatever. And uh, you can't make your case to a judge, but, but something else is long. You can also call for a duel or they can say, no, I didn't. And I'm going to duel you. Um, and the winner of the duel is right, at least in terms of how the empire sees it. So at that point, you're having a duel that's a special kind of one-on-one, very intense combat. It's not necessarily to the death. It's often to like first blood where you're, you're attesting, you're each you know, putting your life on the line over a piece of truth, over a definition of whether something or other is, is true or will be seen as true in the eyes of the empire. So there you have combat cool. for social purposes, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's so, I mean, like, that's, uh, I don't think I've ever seen that in another game before. <laughs> the inspiration for L5R was not really Sengoku Jutai, the big samurai periods. Its inspiration was much more about the Chambara um, action movies. You know, the Seven Samurai and the, Yojimbo and Sanjiro and all those different samurai movies. Ah, okay, okay. In this setting of this, the whole world is has the big conflicts. Um, the only difference is, is that unlike those movies, you're not really playing Ronin. You, you, because the clans, one of the neat things it does is it automatically gives you this whole web of relationships between you and the other characters in the world around you. Whereas if you're just all Ronin and you don't have any relationships, then you've got to kind of like build that up by hand and you can't make them really deep and interesting. It's hard to make them as deep and interesting. Whereas here it's like, oh, I hate the dragon because a dragon samurai killed my father. And suddenly you've got like, now you've got like a seventh of the world that you have a certain relationship to. Yeah, well, I mean, given my somewhat limited understanding of Japanese history, Ronin were typically outcast by everyone, were they not? Yes, Ronin were outcast by everybody, and they are outside the society. And um, you can play a Ronin in L5R, but it is a very different kind of game if you are playing a Ronin, because you have very little resources, and you've got a you know, chop for wood, and you you don't have like the cool armor and you know, no money it's, and nobody believes you and nobody trusts you because you're rodent. And so it's like, okay, we're playing nobility or we're playing scum. <laughs> They're different games. <laughs> now, just out of curiosity, is it something, a setup where, and, and I don't even know if this is a reasonable story, but like where you could play, say a batch of Ronin masquerading as a clan or masquerading as different clans. You could play Ronin masquerading as a clan samurai, but at that point, you're wearing some other clan's colors when you don't have permission to, all right? Mm -hmm. So that would be like if you were um, dressed up as a police officer 
and you're just a regular guy, you're going to be in trouble if you get caught. Like, big mm-hmm. trouble. Uh, or if you were, uh, you know, in a war zone and you were dressed in the army of a officer in the military, but you're not even in that military. You're just a, a dude. So you should not be surprised if you get executed or dueled or otherwise uh, taken down for doing that because they're not going to appreciate you doing that. Just, I don't know why, but the, the idea popped into my head probably because, you know, with RPG gamers being who we often are, <laughs> that the idea of this, this I don't know, you know, think of, of, be it, you know, like leverage or something like that, but this batch of, of Ronin that go around, you know, either doing, you know, masquerading as different clans and doing heists or whatever, maybe that's a little more of a gonzo take than, than the game is, is really designed for, but seems like it could be a fun angle to play. I think it's a perfectly legit angle. There's a lot of games you could be having here. It would be a dangerous angle. It would be a really dangerous angle. But if you wanted to play that, the capacity is in there. Um, it's just it's more challenging to play Ronin, and I generally don't recommend it for introducing new players to the game, just because you know you need to know what you're up against. I guess. No, that's fair. That's fair. So it, it is, and, and I guess, you know, be it, like you said, it's based off of card game going back, well, now 25 years. It mm-hmm. is a very lore-intense setting that I'm going to assume as well. It is. You don't have to use it all. Some people get overwhelmed by the lore. It's got a great, it's got a good wiki. I like the lore because I always want to, like, drop this nugget of history. I want, I, when I tell stories, I want them to be, seem like they're, set in a time and space and like have some depth to them you know and it's not i just made it up and i have no idea what happened in the past here i can i can say different things in the past this provides it it does have this depth of lore but i don't think people should be intimidated over much by all the lore you don't need all of that to start up a new game you just start off with the basics that's in the book play a really simple adventure and then add more lore as you feel comfortable about it. Maybe you find something that intrigues you and you decide to build that into a story that you include in your game. I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot of lore to say, I'm going to have all my players be crab samurai standing on the wall fighting the forces of the undead and keeping them from getting in the empire. You don't need any lore for that. You just are people on a wall fighting monsters. And that's perfectly legit. If I'm understanding things right, you could do that for a little while till you kind of get your feet under you as far as the rules and so forth. And then because of their performance standing on the wall, fighting off all the evil undead things, they get called up and, and get dragged into more court games, etc. Oh, yep. They could do that or they could be recruited and, and sent someplace else to deal with a problem inland that gets them interacting with the other clans, which gets them more involved with politics. Yeah, you can start from any point. The beginning game for 5th edition, most of the editions actually, is called the Topaz Championship. Um, And you are a little uh, kid just uh, passing their right to adulthood in a big contest where the best and brightest of the Empire go and compete with each other to show off how awesome they are so that the most awesome teenager in the empire gets picked as the topaz champion that year that's kind of how it starts (laughs) and that's how you meet each other and there's various shenanigans and that's that's the essence and then you have you know the start of a multi-clan group for people to go go working 
with doing adventures. Okay. So that was, yeah, that was the other thing that I, I was meaning to say at some point is I'm guessing it also works best with, at the very least, a mix of classes and probably a mix of clans as well. Um, there are different schools. It works best, I think, with a mix of classes. Um, that means Bushi, Shigenja, and Courtiers in there. However, um, some people swear by the mono-clan game, which is everybody in the same clan. Um, and I think mono-clan games work just great. They're very easy to bring together. So if you pick a clan, you love it, and everybody's interested in playing it, there's no problem making a mono-clan game, just, just one clan. And then you don't have to worry about trying to bring together a group of people from different clans. Mm-hmm. I like um, multi-clan games because I like the you know little tensions you get between people in different clans. Like, my clan and your clan is at war, but we have to work together to do this. Uh, and actually, I, I really respect you because we've saved each other's lives four or five times. So now you've got a real flavorful relationship. Where, oh, but now my my boss is saying I need to get intelligence on your clan, but I don't want to hurt your feelings. And it just, it just lets you put some more complicated situations or put flavoring, put flavors into those relationships very easily if you want to use those tools to do so. <laughs> all right, Steve, I hear the wheels sticking in your brain there. You got anything I'm taking it all in because this is really awesome and I'm glad to finally get to hear about what this game is and, and what the RPG is because I've been hearing about the card game for a long time because I have friends that run in that circle and they always talked about how awesome the card game was and how awesome the story was. And so hearing how the RPG works is really cool to to get to the bottom of this because like I said, I I sort of got daunted by how much lore there was and so hearing hearing it from somebody who plays the game not just plays the game but knows the game like you is really really nice to hear that <laughs> that the lore doesn't have to be daunting <laughs> no you just take it in the chunks that you you want to take it in you know that's always a, a nice thing if if a game is set up to where you yeah like you said you can kind of bypass it and especially for a game that seems like how do i want to say this that's not as combat focused. Like it's easy to avoid lore if all you have to do is go down a hall and fight the next monster. But in a game that's intended to have a much more significant social element, it does sound like it's it's nice to be able to still kind of focus more on one thing while you're getting your head around the whole thing. If that, mm -hmm. I don't know if that made sense or not, but I know what I was thinking. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's, it's always more of a burden on the GM for knowing the lore, of course, as opposed to the players. If you are the kind of GM that can dive into the lore, they certainly do have it there. Um, and the second book, so, so in, in fifth edition, there's the core rule book and then has the base rules, uh, a chunk of the world stuff for it and the clans and schools, bunch of techniques. You know, kind of the basics you need to run the game. The next book out is called The Emerald Empire, and that's pretty much all lore and locations and challenges and adventure seeds kind of to get you get you rolling. Um, you don't need that, but that's kind of how they bring it in. So if I was going to introduce a party, I, you know, I'd start thinking about, okay, what's the lore for this 
this location that I want them at. And then I can have clues from the past. Maybe this tragic thing happened on this location. So it's like, okay, I can have a ghost from this tragic past. And now I've used the lore to fuel a story now for my parties to deal with. How do, how do I put this ghost to rest? Do I, Or is it just like a cool thing I see? I really like that. I, I like having, and I, I've sort of talked about it in the past, but I really like having dedicated lore books because it does, it lets you, you know, you can get the core book and have the rules and have some of that, but having a dedicated lore book that you can go, okay, this is maybe not the definitive end all be all, but this is a good chunk of what the lore in this world is. And I can choose to maybe not necessarily completely ignore it, but ignore that if I choose to, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I like having that ability to go, this is the lore book. This is the book that's dedicated to, you know, story hooks and what's going on and, and, you know, different points in the, in the world. And I do kind of like that. I like hearing that there's, that that's a dedicated thing. Yeah, there is a lore in a lot of the books. So there is lore in the core rule book, but you you guys kind of have to decide. You don't need it, I guess. You don't need that much of it. It, It's good to know what your clan's like and what the families are like so you can play that vibe. But you don't need a huge amount of lore. Maybe, you know, the social structure because there's stuff you have to understand about the whole caste system to know what it is to be a samurai as opposed to a farmer. And, and those interactions are kind of like built in. The game is built around honor, glory, and status is kind of like how it's split up. Like what is, how do you view honor? How do you, you know, how do you get glory? What is glory? What is honor? Um, what is social status? There's no loot or there's very little looting in as what you win if you play uh, L5R, what you're trying to do is uh, potentially get glory and become famous, climb in social status, um, or uh, prove yourself more honorable or or less honorable. Some something that reflects your your values in the world. Okay, I can really respect that. <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of that going on. So the, in the core book, it it is quite a bit of lore, but it's kind of just setting that up it's not like the entire history of the lcg or anything like that right right and i could understand with the with what you've described so far that the lcg is this sort of massive daunting thing and and (laughs) having that broken down and and not quite everything that would be that would make sense Mm -hmm. but it like i said i still like i like the feel of this game i like the feeling of that it's not it can be but it's not necessarily a combat focused game and i like that it feels like it is more of a a narrative storytelling interpersonal relationships but also interacting with the world i like i like the feel of all this i think that's really cool and from everything you've described it definitely makes me want to try it at some point and and definitely get it on a table because I say that, but I, I genuinely mean this has been something that's kind of <laughs> been in the corner of my periphery. I just didn't have anybody who played it that I could be like, hey, explain <laughs> this to me. So <laughs> well, I, I really like it. When I started playing, it was the all right. When I started playing it, um, there was Dungeons and Dragons and that set of books. And then there was um, World of Darkness, Vampire, Werewolf that that thing so so you had the fighty game 
and you had a social game, but the social game was all about uh, how can I do bad things to you, evil things to you, <laughs> you know. Uh, and mm -hmm. L5R has a social game that is not just about being sneakier than the other guy, but is actually like knowing what they want and seeing if you can give it to them in exchange, they will do something for you, you know, finding that out, that sort of thing. <laughs> a social game that's not, that's not necessarily antagonistic. I, I remember, right. you know, playing, you know, be it Vampire the Masquerade or whatever back in the day. And yeah, social was a big thing, but it was always, it's a game of how do I trick them into getting what I want? Right. <laughs> Where L5R seems like it's aimed more at how can we come to a mutually beneficial resolution? If we were to play it that way, yes. You can play antagonistic, yeah. but uh, you can play it uh, cooperative. There's a lot of ways. Some people don't take well to understanding that approach, but there's a lot of different ways that you can you can approach how to do the social game in the world. But I like that it has the option. I, I liked that it had the option to do that. So that's the first thing that kind of drew me to L5R. Well, that's very cool. I've been playing a while. So. <laughs> well, hey, I mean, yeah. So is there anything more you want to add about the game? Um, I think just don't be too intimidated with it. Uh, realize that there's an awful lot of stuff there that's all for the LCG and enjoy it. There's some great books out there as well. Um, Aconite Press has released a, the starting of a set of novels set in the world, which are really, really fun. Um, so, you know, if you want to get a feel for more kind of campaigns just by reading books on your own, I'd say all of the novels have that vibe. Um, there is a kind of crab-oriented game, which is, you know, versus... Shadowlands monsters. Shadowlands are what's on the other side of the wall. <laughs> uh, called Curse of Honor by David Annadale. That's fun. And then there's um, a book called Poison River. Uh, that is kind of more the investigator uh, politics side of it. That, uh, so that is, uh, that is out there, Poison River. I enjoyed that one a lot. And then there is one called... Um, Night Parade of a Hundred Demons that is more, you know, fighting this, not fighting, appeasing or dealing with the supernatural ghost stories and stuff within Rokugan that is out there. So, and those are not with the big main storyline or anything like that. They're kind of like side stories, but they're novels and you can read those and get a real good feel for how um, campaigns might work in that world for you if you wanted to. Very nice. All right, uh, Steve, any more questions? No, I all of my questions have been answered. I'm very <laughs> sufficiently very sufficiently intrigued and definitely going to be checking the game out and getting it in my hands soon. <laughs> Great. Um I I can't think of anything else. It's it's just just in general for me, I think it's very important to remember if you're playing L5R, it is a, a Japanese game it is uh deals with asian e east asian content um and so what you don't want to do is let it turn into a, a stereotype a caricature asian thing because a it doesn't work at all with the game and that's gross um <laughs> so uh you know just remembering that all these 
characters are people and approaching it that way is is definitely the best and sometimes people kind of go turn it into caricature it's not in the content of it but you know people sometimes do that so it's just just a little niggling warning i guess i wanted to uh remind people of i hope that made sense oh i understand yeah understand where you're coming from on that yeah it sounds like it it draws heavily enough on what do you want to say real world cultural elements that it is something you you want to be respectful of the subject material you know what mm-hmm. i mean yeah <laughs> it, it does ex- exactly it does uh, draw very heavily on the real life aspects of it and so you don't want to get um weird about that and uh and treat you know the characters as not being people or uh, overly mocking of the religion or the deities or anything else involved with that because that is just not cool and i'm sure all your listeners are very cool people and would not do that so yes we hope so (laughs) All right. Well, then I think, and and I briefed you about this a little bit, and you said at least for right now, you're you're just going to listen in. But Steve, do you know what time it is? Is the game of the week? Game of the week. Game of the week. Game of the week. All right. Well, let me think here. I have a game here, and I'm sort of gonna I'm sort of gonna ape off of a thing that you've been uh, obsessed with since you talked to JT. Uh, <laughs> And so I'm going to steal a game called Bulldogs and it's Fate Core Edition. And this okay. is this is a sci-fi fate game or it's a sci-fi game set in the fate system. And it is basically space truckers using the fate system. And okay. this is the Fate Classic Edition? Yes, sir. Here, I'll send you a link. Oh, I got it already. Okay. Looks like a fun, weird, you know, it just seems like a fun sci-fi game. And I sort of stumbled across it because I kept seeing, I kept seeing setting expansions for it. And I was Uh like, well, what is the, what, what's the core of this game? And then I found it and I was like, Ooh, this could be actually a lot of fun. Yeah. And it, it sort of breaks into that bored with your dead end job, tired of your planet bound life. And it talks about space trucking and sort of that like scrappers and and everything along those lines. It just seems like a weird, cool, sci-fi, fun game. I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. It seems fun. Seems sci-fi. Seems up my alley. It's it's something that you know. It's on sale on drive through. I can't guarantee that it would still be on sale when you hear this, but as of right now. If it's not on sale, it's ten dollars. When it is on sale, it's currently six dollars and seventy cents. Okay, something yeah. to check out. Yeah, yeah. This that does look fun. Yeah, so it looks just like a fun, simple game. Yeah. So, what do you got, Steve? Well, you know how how I'm attracted to um, shiny oh, things. <laughs> well, <laughs> shiny things, um, weird combinations. Um, I was diving around the. Uh, the uh, sci-fi sale list on drive-thru and followed a couple of things here, there and everywhere. How about a game, Steve, that is, how about a game that is post-apocalyptic steampunk pirates? (laughs) Okay. Yep. You have my attention. 
<laughs> All right. I will send you a link very quickly here. Let me do the right thing here. Um, drunk. Uh, this is called Abney Park's Airship Pirates. But uh, it says it's 2150 and the Earth's starting to get over the great apocalypse of 1906. From the steampunk sky cities of... Isla Aether and High Tortuga, airship pirates ply the clouds in search of excitement and booty, kept in check only by the might of the Imperial Air Navy. And so this is above, you know, a wilderness, beast-haunted North America sort of, you know, but you have these walled, smug-shrouded, you know, Victorian cities. And like, I don't know, I've I'd never heard of this before now, but post-apocalyptic steampunk airship pirates sounds like fun to me that rolls off the tongue very nicely (laughs) (laughs) it does well they had me at when i opened the store page and i scroll down to the description in bold print someone screwed up the timeline okay you have my attention (laughs) what did we do what happened (laughs) i like it man i hate this section steve because it's it's (laughs) always it's always hard on me because it's like, oh, I found a thing. I think he'll like it. And then you go and find something like this. It's like, ah. <laughs> oh, I just stumbled onto this, literally. But like, and, and the thing, is, it's it's an older game. It's, it's, I mean, it was last updated on in 2011. And it's not cheap either. That's the one thing I will say. PDF no, is 25 bucks. Yeah. Um, older game. I mean, it, it is 300 pages, but. Uh, looks like it was added in 2011. Yeah, but, but I mean, the idea just sounds like entirely too much fun. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. I, I want to get, we'll have to get this. So you've sort of been doing it and I'm going to start popping into them Saturdays. We've been doing sort of one shots when we can get the group together. And so I think this is going on the list of a Saturday one shot to try and get this out there. Ooh. Did you, are you good? No, no, you just made me excited. That's all. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, I, I, I have a, I have a story that could probably work really well with this. And so I might have to, I might be, you just click a few more. Okay. Yep. All right. Anyways, uh, <laughs> <laughs> with that, that's game of the week. And so we do want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Now would be the time if you'd like, go ahead and I know we did it at the top of the show, but go ahead and plug anywhere that you'd like to put out there or, or you know, anything that people should be aware of. All right. Well, um, you can find the our, our Discord, the L5R Discord. We can have a link for that. Um, my website is craneclan.weebly.com for a lot of aids and fiction and tools to help you if you're running fifth edition there is uh we have a patreon uh patreon.com slash court games and also we have a twitter account that is uh, at court games pod or my own twitter is at white veils so you can you can reach me around there and I will post a little bunch of links for you and then you can post them wherever you do show notes. If you do those. Yes. Yes, we do. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, if you would be so kind as to send those over to me or whatever, because I know some of those, you know, like I know discord links, they change every time. So. Yep. Plus I couldn't rattle them off fast enough anyway. 
And uh, yeah, definitely listen to Court Games uh, RPG podcast if you want to know way too much about this thing. I work really hard on keeping that one well organized. And if you want a fun uh, actual play, Fortune and Strife is is out there for you to listen to. Very, very cool. So yeah, as Steve said, uh, thank you very much for taking the time to come come tell us about this game because I didn't know anything about it and uh i've learned a lot <laughs> well thank you very much for inviting me it's an honor absolutely yeah and and yeah same for me because i i knew like i said i knew tangentially of it and i knew the world was really deep and in depth but i didn't know and so i've learned a lot myself so thank you very much for coming on and i think with that <laughs> we want to remind everyone to get out there and play some rpgs and be kind to one another yep Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can also find us at facebook.com slash meandsteverpg. Thank you and be kind to each other. How much for the cigar? Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that.